Welcome to the first episode of Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we'll discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkow, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing parents who are raising multilingual children, Montessori guides who have taught in bilingual classrooms or who are themselves multilingual, and adults who grew up speaking two or more languages. We'll talk about the intersection between language and identity, how to find balance in speaking two or more languages in a monolingual environment, and all the joys and challenges that we experience on the multilingual journey. Thank you for joining me for the very first episode of this podcast. Today I'm speaking with Thais, a Brazilian mother and trained Montessorian living in London with her Irish husband Will and their two-year-old son Luca. Thais and I met in 2016 when we began our Montessori teacher training at the Maria Montessori Institute in London. In this conversation, we discuss what first drew Thais to Montessori, how Montessori philosophies have influenced her parenting style, her experiences teaching in a Montessori children's house, and the role that bilingualism plays in her family's daily routine. Thais is so eloquent and has wonderful insights about Montessori and bilingual parenting. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. A few quick notes before we start. You'll hear us talk about AMI, which stands for Association Montessori International, the organization which conducted our teacher training program that was founded by Maria Montessori and her son Mario in 1929. You'll also hear us talk about the Children's House, which is a mixed-age class of two-and-a-half to six-year-olds in a Montessori school. We sometimes use the word guide instead of teacher, which is a commonly used term in the Montessori world, coming from the idea that the adult's role is to guide children through activities in the classroom and in their development. And finally, in the first minute of our conversation, there's a slight audio blip and Thais's voice cuts out. The missing audio is her saying that she worked as a lead guide in a children's house for two years after completing her Montessori training. After that little blip, it's smooth sailing. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Thais. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori Podcast. Thank you for being my first guest. <laughs> um, so let's start by, uh, will you tell everyone who you are and where you live and um, about your child? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. Um well, I am, my name is Thais. I, I live in London currently for the past uh, six years I've been here. And Montessori teacher for two years. And then I had my child and then I am now at home with him. <laughs> and um, where are you from originally? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. I am from Brazil. Yes, Rio, Rio de Janeiro or Rio. Oh. <laughs> I would love I've never been to Brazil I've actually never been to South America so maybe when um, this pandemic is over <laughs> maybe I'll get to go to South America then yeah um and your husband is Irish yes 
Yes, my husband is Irish. Well, we met in Brazil, actually. He was living in Brazil already when we met. And then we got married there. And then after two years, we decided to come over to, to uh, England. And here we are. <laughs> so now and... we're thinking maybe where, where, where next, but we don't know. <laughs> Do you ever speak to your husband in Portuguese or do you always speak in English? No, in Portuguese as well. I do, I oh, do a do. bit of a... Yes, sometimes I speak... I mean, he speaks Portuguese as well, uh, which is a little bit rusty at the moment after five years away from Brazil. <laughs> uh, but I do speak Portuguese a lot and he does understand. So what we do at home is funny because, I mean, we always express ourselves better in our own language. So right. Most- the time I'm speaking Portuguese and he's speaking English and we are having conversations and argument in that way (laughs) oh that's great that's very convenient that you both understand each other's language as well for when you need to speak in your own language um so I do want to ask you about what bilingualism looks like in your family and your daily routine but let's back up and talk about how you found Montessori so we met while we were doing our Montessori training in London uh, five years ago. Can you believe it was five years ago? Um, so tell me about how you found out about Montessori and what uh, made you decide to do the AMI Montessori training? Yes, yeah, so I, I did a degree. I have a degree in geography, which, which um, so this is what I did uh, years ago. And so part of my degree, I did a teacher training. It was part, mm. so, so, I, so I could teach geography, which, which never happened in my life. I ended up working with other things. And then I moved to England. And then when in England, I was thinking, okay, so what am I going to do now? How, what am I going to do? So, and I really wanted to be able to stop and think uh, what, 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 what was the thing that really I would like to do what is the thing that really would drive me and and be you know um consistent with 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 the things that I believed and then I was like well I always liked education so let's let's think down the route maybe now I will go back and like teach geography Mm. but then but then it was my husband who said you know what I have a friend and she did this Montessori training was really cool and I was like oh yeah Montessori I remember that I did hear about Montessori when I was studying pedagogy within geography and then I was looking in the internet and then I went to visit the training center uh went there for a information session and when i got there at the training center we we could walk in the practice room which is a children's house classroom and as soon as i went in that room i felt something like i want to be here Mm. i like this space and i want to be in this space so and that's how and this is how i made my choice and i was really I was really um, concerned because I was like, oh, my God, really, am, am I, am I going to really turn that, that way, work with small children? I never thought I would work mm. with small children, but it was the right decision. And I never, I never looked back. I never re- regret my decision and still the environment that I love to be in. Oh, I love that. Do you remember what it was specifically about the practice classroom that made such an impression on you? 
I think there wasn't a specific thing. It was, the, I think it was really the atmosphere, everything mm. beautiful, everything organized, everything in its place. I think it was the, the, the harmony and the materials. They are yeah. so attractive. I wanted to, to learn, okay, how do I use that stuff? You know, I'm like, what is that for? What's this for? It was really something like that. It was interesting. I was, I was, um, I felt like I want to be here and I don't want to touch those things. That, that's what yeah. I um, And while you were doing training, while we were doing training, was, I remember there were only, I think only a third of our training co- cohort were native English speakers. And I remember some of the, um, language you know section being a bit challenging for those who weren't native english speakers but then had to teach native english you know english language um phonograms and that sort of thing to children was there anything that you found do you remember anything challenging about that aspect of the training doing the training in english absolutely that was really really challenging um and the phonograms and uh, yeah i mean if, even as a teacher later the sun paper letters was always something that i really need to prepare beforehand and think okay so which examples am i going to give for this sound you know mm. and some sounds are trickier than others yeah. and words to that are you know that you can give as example for to to the children and yeah absolutely all the the correct the crisp and clear pronunciation that we need to have. It's really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. I remember, so, I mean, I did the training in England, so and obviously I'm American, so most of the sounds were the same, but actually the three sat phonograms that are not the same are E-R, A-R, and O-R. And I remember having to say those in a British accent when I did practice teaching. <laughs> yeah. So even for me, that was a pretty funny experience. Um, so now you are a mother as well as a Montessorian and your son is almost two. Is that right? Yes. He'll be two in September, end of September now. Ah, and so how did the way that you think about Montessori change once you became a mother? Did anything surprise you or did any of your opinions or views shift? Um, yes and no. Um, I think that uh, the Montessori training completely influenced the way I, I mean, the mother that I am now, absolutely, 100%. And, and, and what is interesting is once I became a mother, I ended up looking for other sources of information, you know, other books about child development, other books about parenting and, and things like that. And I went looking for like evidence-based books. And it's amazing how Montessori, uh, I mean, she was so right. You know, even if the mm. new science of today, everything just confirms. What was a bit conflicting and what was really challenging for me was this um, topic about, uh, you know, sleeping and eating. Uh, mm. But what I find interesting is that the books that I read about Montessori for this age group, it those those books they, they were they are not Montessori words, so I don't know if it's the author's take 
on mm. how a child should sleep or wear or eat about uh, you know those aspects about raising a, a baby in the Montessori or not a Montessori way so this these things were, was was a bit difficult but then I always come back to the thing where you know follow the child Mm-hmm. follow the child you you see what 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 is working for you as a mother because it can be really uh challenging you know to to get things <laughs> done uh yeah. especially with um sorry i, I think I, I lost myself a little bit <laughs> what was the question again you were <laughs> um well the question was how did the way that you think about Montessori changed once you had children. But then a separate related question, which you sort of were answering, is how do you think that Montessori has informed your parenting style and or approach? And I think that's where you, where you were. So you were talking about that it's really challenging to do all of the Montessori things, but that you always go back to follow the child. Exactly. Yeah, always go back to follow the child. Absolutely. Can you, do you remember an example in the past two years since, becoming a mother where you had to follow Luca or you made a made it a point to you know follow him and maybe a moment that was challenging for you or something that worked out like a struggle that then worked out when you decided to follow the child yeah well I think if yeah absolutely and and, and there's one thing that it's, it's sleep sleep is something that we are still I wouldn't say struggling with I mean, in a way, it's a struggle because our expectation about how your child will sleep, it's very different. I mean, it can be very different from what what actually is. Mm-hmm. So I had to go and understand what infant sleep actually looks like, what normal infant sleep looks like. And it's a wide range of normal. So, so to me, this, this thing that if the child is tired, who will go to his bed on his own and gonna fall asleep and he's gonna sleep on his own and you have to in a way you know kind of train him to sleep for Mm. longer periods of time or there's some people talk about sleep crutches um Mm. about oh you you can't rock the baby or you can't hold the baby you can't breastfeed the baby to sleep all those things apparently for some Montessorians you cannot do or you should not do and I completely have to find a way I said you know what I'm not gonna I'm gonna follow what works and I'm gonna Mm -hmm. follow my intuition and my heart here and Mm -hmm. I always think about Montessori you know Montessori she was all about uh, seeing the child uh, developmentally so what nature and 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 the way I, I understand Montessori words is like she was really uh, all about, in my view, you know, the child is endowed with a nature, which mm-hmm. is his inner teacher. So if we allow the development to take place, things will happen. So why would nature make a child, uh, the the human baby, a, a, a little uh, creature that wakes up every t- three <laughs> hours and that would be a mistake, something that you need to correct? It is yeah. the way it is. We have to get our our expectations right, understand why is it that that happens, and just, I don't know, um, accept that, understand, and follow that, and, and see what's happening. So, for example, in my personal life, 
we sleep uh, in the same room, we sometimes do bed share, sometimes we just co-sleep and we feed to sleep, we rock to sleep. There's a lot of uh, mm -hmm. uh, physical contact and that's, and that's the best way, that's the way that he sleeps quicker and for longer and everybody else in the family so mm. why wouldn't I do that and I and I don't see how Maria Montessori would disagree with me <laughs> yeah oh I love that I love that about that you know this is a child's development is occurring naturally and why would nature have designed something that's wrong there's a reason that it's like that oh yeah. I love that um <laughs> And this might be a silly question, but uh, not being a mother, is there a difference between bed sharing and co-sleeping? Yes, there is. Oh, uh, what, is, so, what is the difference? Co-sleeping, co, co it, it co, co co-sleeping is when you sleep in the same room. It can be one of those mm. cots that are attached to your bed, or maybe they're not attached, but you are in an, in close distance. So, so both mother and baby are... Uh, sensory aware of the other so you can mm -hmm. listen to the baby you can see the baby maybe you can stretch your arm and touch the baby and bed sharing is actually when you are actually sharing the same sleep surface mm. got it okay probably everyone who's a mother knew the answer to that one um just not me <laughs> um it's not yeah it's fine <laughs> Um, so let's talk a little bit about bilingualism. So we talked a little bit about how you and your husband kind of fluidly alternate between English and Portuguese. And so tell us a little more about what does bilingualism look like in your family and in your daily routine? Yeah, so we, we do it very uh, intuitively. Uh, I didn't really um, looked into it like a, I didn't do a big research about it but what I do is one parent one language which I think it's mm -hmm. kind of what families end up doing so I only speak not only but most of the time I tried very hard to stick with Portuguese and will with English mm -hmm. um, so that's what we do so, so with with each other it's a bit with me and will it's a bit of a mix uh, which I don't know what what would be the best thing to do, but uh, so that's what we try to do: one parent, one language, um, and just comes comes like that. Yeah. And when Luca speaks, does he? What language does he speak in? Does he usually answer you in Portuguese and answer Will in English? Well, Luca's not speaking yet, um, mm. so. But he's he does a little bit a little bit of both in his own way. So he's trying to, to he's starting now a few words and they are Portuguese. Yeah. Yes. It's like more if if like if he wants more food, he says more in Portuguese mm -hmm. or you know, um car, um, you know, all, all those 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 things. But but it's um it's mainly Portuguese. Be I think mainly because he's with me more more often. Yeah. Actually, that's one thing that I would like to ask you about because lots of people talk about these things uh, that, you know, a child who is bilingual, they would uh, speak later than other mm. children. And I never looked into it. Maybe you have. If there's any actual evidence that supports this kind of assumption or if it, if it is um, an anecdotal. It, you know, it is a little bit of both. Some children 
you know, not all children speak later, but sometimes what happens is, so a monolingual child might have, you know, might say 50 words at age two, um, but a bilingual child might say 25 in one language and 25 in another, or 20 in one language and 30 in another, it might not be even. Um, And then unless we really consciously observe or, you know, sit down and write down the words that they know, we might not even realize that they know that many words and are saying that many words in both languages. We just are thinking, oh, well, he's only saying 20 words in English. So he's slower than this other child who's speaking 50 words in English. But so research has shown that it, their language development usually parallels that of monolingual children, but it's often split, not necessarily evenly between their both languages, between their two languages. I see. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, it's fascinating. Um, so what has been the hardest, I know he's only two, um, but what has been the hardest part or the biggest challenge in raising Luca bilingual? Or has there not been much of a challenge yet since he's mostly at home with you? Yes, I don't think there is a, like a special challenge for uh, because we are doing uh, uh, with two languages because in a way when you are with your child you just speak your own language and then it's just the way it is I think what I what I find um, interesting that happens with me it's like for example when we are out in, in the playground or somewhere else and there are other people around I tend to switch to English because mm-hmm. I I have this idea that's very rude. If, if people don't understand what I am saying, you know? Mm, yeah. I really don't understand that. I, it's probably <laughs> a problem with, with me and probably no, no, no one else thinks it's strange. But if I'm talking to him and there's other people around, I, I switch to English just because, I don't know, I feel like everybody should be included. But yeah. But anyway, but, but I don't think that parenting a bilingual child is more difficult than yeah. parenting. I, I, yeah, I mean, definitely parenting a child, it's, it's a big challenge on its own. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, it's also a really special advantage that you and Will both understand each other's languages, because I do think that sometimes it's challenging if you were doing, it would be challenging if you were doing one parent, one language, and Will didn't understand Portuguese. So you would be really trying to speak Portuguese to Luca all the time, and then your husband wouldn't understand. I think that can sometimes present a challenge. So I think it's really an advantage that you both understand each other's languages. And and then Luca also can observe you two speaking both languages together, which is also really special. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like challenging, I mean, but yeah, I I can think of some like practical things. Like, for example, we are in England, so it's hard to find books in Portuguese. Mm. This this is something. So we always read books in English. Now, finally, I, I, I found like three or four books in Portuguese so I can read books in Portuguese, which I which I think is a big thing. I think. Yeah. Not only speaking like a spoken language in Portuguese, but I try to listen to music in Portuguese. So I'm trying to read books in Portuguese and read poems in Portuguese. So you have this wide range of, you know, of language, not only 
So, you know, so this, yeah. this is tricky, I found. But but now this more like practical thing is being sorted. But it took me a while to find. Yeah. And have you been able to connect with any other um, Portuguese speaking mothers or children um, in London? Not yet. No, actually, no. Yeah. I mean, I know it, it has been a pandemic for most of Luca's yeah, life. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so in your own life, being a bilingual person living in a country that doesn't speak your native language, have you, do you feel like you express yourself differently in each language that you speak? Um, my, I have limited experience with that. I lived in Italy for a year and spoke Italian all the time. And sometimes I felt, maybe it's not even in a concrete way, but sometimes I felt that I was like a little bit different in each language. Have you ever experienced feeling like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, a different persona, but not that uh, schizophrenic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it is, it is different. And it's funny how, because each, I mean, languages, they are very different. So some things I can express better in English mm. than rather than in Portuguese and while other things I can really express in Portuguese and there are specific words for these or expressions which I cannot find in English um, mm -hmm. so definitely that there is that there is that and there's also this thing where I mean if you are talking about a subject that you are not really familiar so you will most of it uh, so so I will most of the time think in Portuguese and then translate literally to English, which doesn't work because they're mm. completely different languages. So it sounds strange. My husband, he always said, oh, I, I, I know what you're saying. You are actually literally translating Portuguese to English. <laughs> work like that. So said, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so help me here. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um. So I wanted to also ask you about your experience as a Montessori teacher and when you were um, leading a classroom in London, a children's house classroom, did you have any children join your class um, that spoke another language at home and came into the classroom with limited English? Oh, all the time, all the time. I think that uh, if I remember correctly, we had maybe two or three children that were native, I mean, not native, but well, whose parents were English, British. Mm -hmm. Most of our family oh, wow. bilingual. So, I mean, it was very, very common to have children come to school with no English at all. You know, like a mother, mother speaks Spanish, dad speaks Italian, ch mm. child speaks none, or, you know, or other things. We had a lot of that, yeah, in the classroom. And it was really interesting to see how, how, how quickly they, they learn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you um, do you remember any anecdotes of um, children learning English in your classroom or the kinds of activities or uh, little groups that you would do with them? I, I remember one, one, one situation very clearly. So there was this boy and his dad was Italian and the mother was Mexican and he came to the children's house, no English at all. And he was two and a half. He was not even three years old yet. So he started in the children's house, very quiet. And, you know, and took him a while to understand the, the running of the class. And then, you know, lots of lessons and, every, and everything. And then one day I was doing a group 
and he was not part of my group, but we were sitting kind of close to the shelves. Um, and then suddenly he came with his tray of pouring to put back on the shelf. And he was like, excuse me, Miss Tony, can I pass to put my tray on the shelf? Yeah. Something along those lines. But, but my jaw dropped. I said, oh, what? How come? Suddenly he comes and he speaks a whole sentence. Oh. <laughs> Nowhere, you know. It's very, it was, it was amazing. And then I told his dad, I said, you know what, today he said this and this and this. He was like, oh, I don't believe that. Yeah, it was amazing. From, so, I mean, just to show that he was all that time absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. And it was not yeah. like he started from a few words. And he just came and bloof, his whole ah. like, excuse me, Miss Tony, can I pass or something like that. But, you know, he, he was very clear very articulate, all the, you know, the, the parts of the sentences correct. It was amazing. Wow, that is amazing. Um, I remember having some experiences where um, a child joined my class a little bit older, maybe around three and a half, and she spoke Mandarin at home. And her mother was very concerned the first week or so of school because she was like, she doesn't speak any English, you know. How is she gonna? How is she gonna be in this English-speaking class? She doesn't speak any English, and she kept saying that. And the child came into the class and was speaking in full sentences in English. And I was like, actually, she does speak English. She just doesn't speak English to you because she speaks Mandarin to you. <laughs> so I just thought that was so funny. So parents can really, you know, it can surprise them because it's a different side of their child than what they see at home sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So speaking of school, one of the last things I wanted to ask you about is, uh, so Luca will be starting school at a Montessori school, hopefully in a few months, not quite yet. But what are your thoughts and hopes and dreams um, for him as a mom and a Montessori teacher as he begins his own Montessori school journey soon? I am so excited. I cannot wait to see him going to the school and imagine him doing all those pourings and cleanings and, and <laughs> I am I am very very excited about that because I think that um, uh, as 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 much as I tried and I want to you know have a prepared environment at home home is home home is difficult uh, so and school is the school. So in the school, we are there 100% devoted mm. to those children and to that environment. So I'm really looking forward to him to have that experience of his own. And then I'm sure I will see, I know, lots of, um, you know, different things with him at home. I am super excited. That, and and I, 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 I keep thinking, um, I, I cannot wait to have my... Um, talk with his teacher you know the, <laughs> yeah the first parent meeting to know what 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 is he doing what he's working with what his interests are uh is that a work curve that i can have a look at you know <laughs> i am super super excited oh uh, i always loved um it was always such a joy when parents came into my class either having montessori training or you know knowing a lot about montessori because you can just talk with all the terminology and you know it it really like it it's a nice way to connect on a different level so they're gonna love you also as a mom I'm sure <laughs> um, yeah well um 
that was mostly all that I wanted to ask you about what, before we say goodbye, what is one thing that you would say to parents um, who are interested in Montessori and hoping to either, you know, raise their child in a Montessori way at home or interested in Montessori schools? What's uh, a piece of advice or some, a thought that you would want to leave people with? I think that for parents wanted to <clears throat> advise, let's say, if I if I can give in, anyone an advice how to raise your child, it's just it's really hard to shut the outside noise. There is mm. a lot of experts and and people who know things and etc. But I would say, really follow the child it is a big cliche but you know our children they are not trying to manipulate us or they don't need training they don't need you know like a very hard authoritarian person they you know just love them kiss them comfort them look at them who they are and I, I think that's the best piece of advice for any parents, really. And if you are interested in Montessori, just, yeah, look for, there are very good books out there. And, you know, maybe some schools that offer kind of sessions, workshops, things like that. But, but I would say Montessori really is about slowing down a little bit looking at the child and see what it is that they are trying to communicate and time allow them time our mm. lives is so rushed you know really allow them time to take if we can as much as we can and when we can and when is appropriate just allow them time to go up and down the steps 300 times and that will happen <laughs> and just let that happen it's okay <laughs> Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, just allow them time. Let them, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with, you know, with 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 the way that they are. Nature made this the way they are because there is something, you know, that it it is it is the way it is. So just really respect them. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. <laughs> that was wonderful advice. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and share your thoughts about being a Montessori mom and this was, and Montessori teacher. And this was such a wonderful conversation. Yeah. Thank you, I agree. Thank you very much. I, it actually, I really enjoyed and it really made me think about lots of uh, all sorts of things and it's very good to to talk to you thank you very much for inviting me i really enjoyed thank you again to thais for joining me for this conversation i hope you enjoyed it please take a moment to subscribe to the multilingual montessori podcast on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you're listening you can also follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.